How's everybody doing? Welcome back in to the Hitters Only Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you're a first-time listener, always you can find my content on Instagram or Facebook at uh, Hitters Only Podcast. And if you want to listen to any of the music that I've ever talked about, uh, you can get on iTunes and search Staley Haynes and you can listen to all the jams or as I like to say hitters that I talk about. Um, we went through some hitters on this episode uh, towards the end, so make sure you stay tuned till the very end to get all the good stuff. And today's episode features Mr. Dan Haynes, who is also my dad. And we had a great conversation about life and what we have both taken from it so far. So really appreciate him coming in here and opening up about his career and um, yeah, a bunch of different stuff. So... Um, it was great. I had a great time, and I thank him again. And just real quick, um, he's got two businesses that he's got currently going on that I wanted to shout out and give a little information to. Um, the first is uh, he has an Airbnb in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. If you're interested in that, the link will be posted below. Scroll down the episode, and you'll find all the information. And next stage for seniors their company that they run and you can we talk about it in the episode uh, so you'll get all the information on that and scroll down and the the link to their website with everything you need to know will be listed on there so hey hope everybody's doing well get fired up have a good week uh, have a good day the weather is turning it's getting warmer the sun is starting to bang through the clouds and uh yeah exciting times are ahead so anyways enjoyed this episode personally it was really good to get my dad in here uh he's a really good man and i hope that uh, you all can take something away from our conversation because i have um taken a lot um from uh being his son so with that being said here's mr dan haynes you've done another podcast oh yeah really when did you do another podcast? Uh, Murfreesboro local radio AM station. Oh, okay. My, your mom and I talked about our business when we first started like two years ago. Huh. And uh, we had Adam's Place, the crew there. They were one of the hosts and or one of the guests, and we were the other guests. And then, you know, the guy was the, the host from the radio station. We oh, just, Adam's Place talked about their product, you know, high-end product. You've been there. You've done that. Yeah. And then... You know, we talked about, we started this business and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how it all went as going. And, you know, that was, gosh, that was two years ago. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. I didn't know. So you and probably, you might be like the second person I've had on then, uh, minus mom. So you, mom, and maybe like one or two other people that have done a podcast before. Mostly, <laughs> most of the time it's. It's just talking. Yeah, it's just talking. It's not everybody. When I ask people, they're always like, everybody says the same thing, which you didn't say this, neither did mom, but they're like, 
man, I don't know what we're going to talk about. Uh, I'm like, no. I'm like, I talk Go with the flow. <laughs> I'm like, I talk to you all the time. It's not like we're going to just sit there in silence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not. Sometimes those, uh, I think, I think it's kind of, it's kind of the way culture's going a little bit. I think, I think like the, the interview culture and like the, the late night talk show culture is kind of going away because, you know, yeah. they kind of, and it's like how the news is set up. They get their little snippets in and then they give somebody two seconds to respond to something. Yep. Okay. Then we got to go to a break. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. you didn't even let him explain his side of something or oh, anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it's, what's, what's the big ones? Carson. Is that still around? That was a big uh, one back in the day. Well, yeah. Johnny Carson. Gosh, that yeah. was uh sixties and seventies and early eighties. And then um, now it's what? Kimmel. You, you know, I haven't watched late night TV. Well, late night hosts, you know, that type show probably 10 years. Well, you got to stay up late to watch it. So. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, if I'm staying up to 11 o'clock, I'm, I'm doing some streaming on something, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, Yellowstone or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not using my time listening to these hosts talk about uh, all your Joe Biden this or whoever the president is that and he did wrong. And, you know, yeah. it's all about politics now. Yeah. A lot of the comedians are, but not all of them. Yeah. Yeah, it gets a little bit political. Speaking of what, what do you think? Uh, what do you think of the big election year? You think it's getting fired up early, or you think it's going to be another Biden Trump uh, smackdown? Or uh, yes, I do. I mean, gosh, all the preliminary, uh, the primaries are coming out, <clears throat> and Super Tuesday. I think it's next Tuesday. Um, yeah, the first week of March. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to be Tennessee and about, you know, six, seven other states. Um, Nikki Haley's, you know, she's she's trying to stay in there. You know, I like her personality. I think she's, you know, she's fine. Mm-hmm. But she's not she's not Trump. But I'm, I'm a Trump fan. Yeah. Now, you know, he has his ills, yeah. as we all will say. Yeah. And keep your mouth shut just a little bit. Yeah. Um, but in the day, the results come and uh, his ideals are more in line with, you know, mine or, or my family and anybody else's. So, yeah, it's – but I think it's going to be a Trump-Biden thing um, if if Biden will last. So Well, I see – I see, obviously – I mean, you can see it folding out in front of you that Trump's going to be the, yeah. the Republican-elect. I mean, I just don't see how it's possible for them to try to go with something else right now. But the Biden thing, man uh, – Ooh, that guy is. Um, it and the thing is, is if even even if he gets there, uh, somehow somehow some way gets in office again, gets reelected, I don't see how he could even get close to another four year term. Oh no, no, there's no way. There's no uh, way. It's um, that guy should be sitting on a dock somewhere. Well, you know, fishing. Here's the thing. His wife and his family should say, "Hey, it's done. Hey, it's time. Just bow out. You, you've done a, you know, you've had a great political career. You know, you've been in there since 1962 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but you know, hey, you know, it, it's just time. You know, enjoy your family. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah." They're not going to elect anybody because of what me and you say. So you know, I've learned in the political, you know, the 
especially the presidential elections. Typically, my life doesn't change. Now, I may have strong opinions and want to just say, what in the world are they doing? Mm-hmm. My day-to-day life, it's all about what you do as a family and as you do yourself. Yeah. You know, how you manage your money and you, you know, your own economy, not the government's economy. Yeah. It's what you do, not what they do. Because mm-hmm. you're going to survive. Um, if you, you know, everybody in this family has skills. Um, so the big picture is not going to affect us. We're going to move on and live on. So take care of your own. Right. Let them do what they're going to do. Well, that's pretty much all you can do. That's you right. Know. You can scream about it on Facebook, but it's not going to yeah. do anything, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, you been doing any fishing or anything? Uh, I haven't been fishing since four days ago. No, oh, okay. Um, I thought it was going to be a lot longer. <laughs> no, nah, I went to Nice's Mill, you know, just down the road. Yeah. Uh, trout fishing. They stocked that Nice's Mill, that little strip there, uh, I think it's called the West Fork uh-huh. area that me and my buddy, uh, David Baker go there about, well, we, we look for the stocking schedule and, um, we say, okay, December 3rd is the stocking schedule. We're going on the 4th yeah. or January 3rd. We're going on a, you know, the 4th. And, uh, so how does that work? How do they do that? Do they bring them all in by a tanker or something? Big TWRA comes in with a truck, you know, with a, uh, long bed truck and they have some kind of miniature aquarium on there or big tank more than anything mm-hmm. and they open up the the portal and whew, there they go just thousands just of just fish. thousands of fish you know most of them are yeah was it trout nine to 12 inches long yeah these are trout uh browns and rainbows and uh, of course they get in there you know if you go the if you actually happen to get there the when they actually show up for the truck and back out and do the flush, mm. you know, you get your limit in 2.3 seconds. But Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just bring a net. <laughs> yeah. it's. But uh, most people go either that afternoon or the next five, six days. And yeah. then uh, – because actually, if you, longer you wait, the trout get an inch bigger per month. Mm-hmm. So the last stocking is like March the 10th or something. So those 12-inch trouts end up being 16 inches or so by the time March gets here. Mm-hmm. They grow very quickly. So anyway, that's a fun catch. Yeah, so no, that's cool. Me and uh, me and a couple of guys used to go to Nicest Mill a lot when I was in high school. And, uh, man, you used to – there used to be Hispanic families down there on uh, a nice day, and they would catch and eat. So they would catch a fish, and then they would already have a grill and a fire going – Mm-hmm. And they would skin them and everything. The women would right there and put have them on the open fire grill. Oh yeah, and they would hang out all day oh, long yeah. and do yeah. that. Trout's a good eating fish, you know, if you yeah. can get the bones out if you do it right. Mm-hmm. But your mom and I, we went to Maine oh back in May, first week of May, and the whole thing about Maine, you know, we went to coastal towns all the way up the coast of Maine mm-hmm. and back down, and end up in Boston, flew out, but. The thing about trout, or well, that trip was lobster, lobster, lobster. You want to Maine, you're gonna need some lobster. Yeah. And then you know I'm a cook. I love to create with food, mm-hmm. and you got a little bit in it yourself. And um, I bought these lobster rolls that were you know forty two dollars for a hot dog bun with lobster, <laughs> and they were good. 
uh, you know, when in Maine, do what you do, yeah. like in Rome. So I said, you know, I have a habit of going to restaurants, which uh, I'd love to say, okay, what's in this? I write it down on a napkin or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I came back and caught six or eight trout and filleted those. And uh, I didn't do the lobster. I did the trout. Trout rolls, not lobster rolls. Yeah. They were fabulous. Really? <laughs> yeah. Huh. That sounds awesome. <laughs> so. Man, speaking of, I meant to say something. Let me look on my phone real quick. We went to a uh, 40th uh, birthday celebration for Brittany Goolsby in Nashville. Yep. And we ate at uh, Lugo. Lugo. L-U-O-G-O. Luego. Lugo. The downtown Nashville? Uh, Yeah, it's in the Gulch. It's right there. Okay, yeah. Uh, And it's an Italian place. The guy is from Italy, uh, owned a restaurant in Italy, moved here, and I would hands down say that he it about ruined Italian food for me because it's so good. <laughs> and, I mean. Authentic. Oh, man. You sit <clears throat> down, and they got these big jars of these, like, handmade pretzel rolls in there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they got any kind of wine or all that you can think of. Sure. And uh, what did I order for For an appetizer, I ordered, it was just a big old giant meatball and just a big bowl of marinara <laughs> sauce. And the yeah. marinara, it, 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 or the red sauce, it's all, it was so good, it was almost not even the same thing no. as, like, generic. Right. Like, yep. it doesn't even seem like it should be in the same category. Mm-hmm. And the meatball was like, shoo, like melt in your mouth kind of thing. Yeah. And then I ended up getting some kind of uh, pasta where, like, the noodles were actually potato. Oh, gnocchi. Yeah. Yeah. And, woo, yeah. man, it was sausage and mushroom and gnocchi and all that. And it was oh, like yeah. A, like a white sauce. And, man. <laughs> uh, uh, gosh, your mom and I went to Italy and... I think it's 2012 or maybe 14. But, you know, we did 12 days over there. And one day we ended up in uh, Tuscany. And I, I had got online and said, okay, we're going to do a cooking class, Italian style. Mm-hmm. So we showed up at this big house looking over, looked at Tuscany Mountains. It was beautiful, you know, vineyards everywhere. And these guys taught us how to make our own homemade gnocchi. That's cool. So we made the dough, we rolled it up with our fingers, and we made the sauce. And uh, we, we sat out on a table outside in the back overlooking the mountains of Tuscany. And we had a fabulous meal. It was probably 2.30 in the afternoon. Good glass of wine, great pasta. And, of course, you know, those guys, there's two guys there that actually they were the chefs. They gave us a recipe. We took that home, and I think I've made it four or five times. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Man, that's a food experience right there. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, you should uh, – I know you like taking mom on dates. You, you guys should go there. It's, you know, it's like uh, if y'all bo- if y'all got, like, one appetizer and y'all both got an entree and, like, a, a bottle of wine, you, you probably get out of there for, like, 150 bucks or something oh, yeah, like yeah. that. I mean, it's not – it's a nice place, but <laughs> right. it's not um, – you know, it's not insane. It's not Fazoli's. No, yeah, it's it's uh, it's really 
I, I thought it was actually really, really fair priced for yeah. what they were doing. And the owner's there the whole time, walking around with a glass of wine, talks to everybody. And, you know, they got, like, one waiter for every two tables. So, like, mm-hmm. anytime you need anything, it's, like, right here. But You know, it's like anything else. You give me quality, I pay the price. Man, they were. that I, I, I'd probably not uh, – I went to a really nice steakhouse in Vegas. But other than that, I don't think I've been anywhere that nice. That was, that was pretty good. Yeah. So, but anyways, we're in here. Talking about food, but uh, um, yeah, I just kind of I had mom on, and she kind of went through uh, where she started to where she is now. I thought it was kind of cool, and um, I know y'all have a lot of the uh, same life because y'all been together so long. So, but it's, it's only forty six years. Yeah, well, and I'm sure you know. I'm sure that y'all have different sides of everything. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm a man. She's a woman, you right? You know, every married couple, they've never disagreed on anything. No. You, know? <laughs> you ever heard of Venus and Mars? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, born in, uh, you were born in Clarksville, right? Actually, yeah, I was born in Clarksville. Okay. Uh, you never know. Okay. I, Mom, I've I forgotten that she was actually born in Murfreesboro. So. Mm-hmm. But um, went to what high school? Would uh, what did you go to back then? Uh, Clarksville High School. Okay. Uh, both of us actually went there. You know, mm-hmm. I met your mom when I was a senior in high school, and she was a junior. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's um, our high school was only back in the day. That was only tenth, eleventh, and twelfth. It was mm-hmm. a three-year high school because ninth grade was somewhere else. Oh, really? But uh, you know, she came in and. As a sophomore, like I did, and I became a senior, obviously, and then I sort of met her at a after football game dance after the junior year. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a junior, I was a senior, so yeah, starting in the fall. So, so what was uh, Clarksville's kind of a military town, a little bit? Uh, yeah, if you on the it, north side, yeah. yeah, so spread out there, very spread out town, yeah. Got the river. Goes on forever, actually. So Uh, what, like back then, uh, let's say you graduated high school in what? um, 1979. 79, I thought it was 78. So what, like what did people, like what was a normal Saturday night, you know, in Clarksville for like a a senior in high school, hanging out in a parking lot? Hanging out uh, (laughs) in front of the, well, behind the Hardee's right next to McDonald's, but a big, huge parking lot called TGNY, the Toys, Games, and Yo-Yos department store. <laughs> that had, a, like, a full-acre parking lot. So it was a, it was a cruise. You you cruise down up through their, their parking lot, and you cruise through Hardy's parking lot, and you go around the loop, and you go through McDonald's, and you come back around and do it again. And you do it 15 other times <laughs> until, you know, you see some girl or some, some dude you want to hang out with, and you yeah. stop in the back parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> That was cruising. I mean, yeah. that was the thing. Yeah. I had Jeff on last week, and he kind of said, man, people, there wasn't nothing to do. He said, you just rode around town and just whatever, hung out, people, parking lots. and Yeah. I mean, literally, you put $3 gas in your in your your car, 3 bucks, and you can go all night. Wow. <laughs> man. That would have been nice. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's you. You've told me some funny stories about your high school stuff, like 
somebody rode a motorcycle into the gym on a pep rally and <clears throat> yeah uh, you know back in the in my era it's so foreign to me there's you know <laughs> nowadays you know things change a little bit with laws yeah <laughs> it's more relaxed or yeah um you know so yeah i was uh a couple times i mean gosh three different stories one was yeah, we were sitting there. You know, the first day of school, everybody goes to the gym. Mm-hmm. Back then, everybody just showed up in the gym. They sit in the bleachers. And, uh, you know, the principal, you know, he starts to walk up to the podium. and Howard Thompson. <laughs> and uh, he was a very serious guy, big old guy. And he was about ready to start his speech about welcoming their new, st- you know, the new students to the new year. And <laughs> all of a sudden, you're just, run, run, run. And then, then suddenly you see Grayson Hurley doing a, a willy all the way across the high school gym. <laughs> zing, zing, zing. And he did a, you know, a, a 360, oh. made some marks, and then flew out that side door. But, of course, they got caught. Golly. <laughs> I don't even – you'd probably go to jail for that now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which yeah. he might have. <laughs> well, what happened to Grayson when, you know, he was kicked out of Clarksville High School. And he had to go to Clarksville Academy. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, his family could afford that, and he, you know, he did his whole high school career there. But uh, <laughs> good grief, man! Didn't y'all put the cafeteria on the roof or something? We uh, one year. Um, this wasn't my class, but I think it was a class one hit one year ahead of me. We showed up first day of school, and our school, our high school, was built in pods, big round pods. It was like ten pods. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, you know, from space, it kind of looked kind of weird, I'm sure. But everybody showed up, you know, that morning, let's say 7, 30, 8 o'clock. And everybody did a double take. What are those cows and heifers doing on top of the roof? <laughs> Somebody, I mean, th- these guys, you know, I'm sure it was all guys. They brought <laughs> like 15, 20 cattle. And we had these stairways that went up to the roof, so they they broke into the high school, found the stairways that went up to the roof, and, you know, each little round pod had three or four cattle. Wow. (laughs) That is impressive. That, yeah, that that was a lot of work. We didn't even get anything (laughs) close to getting anything done like that. That is, you know, back then, I'm sure there was no cameras. Oh, no. no. There wasn't stuff like that. Yeah, you had a lot more freedom uh, Oh, Back man. then, uh, nobody was watching except who was watching you, literally. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And then I guess you can't <clears throat> you can't leave out uh, a bottle rocket story. Uh, or who did that? Was that Brian Hamill or something? Uh, that was Brian Hamill and <laughs> Dan Haynes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Marty Huddleston, uh, who was my best man at my wedding. Yeah. Uh, I, we're seniors by then, but... Um, these pods, you know, they're around, but they all had a little semi-basement that had bathrooms and stuff, mm-hmm. little stairs you go down. So we, we just decided we were going to um, bring some excitement to the the school that day. And so Brian Hamill, I think he was the one that bought the fireworks. Yeah. And we set it up, and there was a – you get on the top stair, it looks straight into the cafeteria. You know, the double doors or triple doors were open. I said, okay, let's light this. And all these bottle rockets are going straight toward the cafeteria where everybody's eating. So that's exactly what we did. We shot off bottle rockets, and it was uh, it was game on. Yeah. 
<laughs> Dad, uh, if if somebody shot a ball rocket off in a cafeteria in a public school oh, yeah. today, different world. It would be an hour before News Channel Two was reporting <laughs> that there was a mass shooting. That's what would oh, happen. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, man, different times. Different it, times. You know those. Uh, those things that pass, you know, I can't be convicted for that now. No. But uh, I remember going to our, I think it was the 20th high school reunion. And one of the girls that I was, and uh, she was a senior with me all the way through high school, nice girl, knew her well. She became the principal, mm-hmm. you know, probably five years after high school, maybe 10, I don't know. Yeah. And so Becky and I, we show up, you know, at this high school reunion, we walk in and Here's Phyllis telling about the stories of class of 79 or class of, I think she did it in two-year increments, 78 to 80. So, yeah, you know, if you notice your annual, it shows the the small fire that happened because of some fireworks. (laughs) (laughs) said, we never did catch, you know, I don't know what happened. Um, But I was back there. (laughs) Like... (laughs) <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I, it must be that Brian, Brian Hamill guy. Uh, honey, are you about ready to go? <laughs> I think I've met everybody. I mean, it, it was everything to keep from laughing. It, you know, no, nobody got hurt. It really burnt a six-inch square carpet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, it was a, very exciting. That's funny. <laughs> I'll, I'll, you'll probably get a kick out of this. Uh, I was a kid. I don't know how old. I, I, I remember I was pretty young. I was probably eight, nine, ten, something like that. And uh, somewhere I got a hold of one of your yearbooks from mm-hmm. high school, and I started I started flipping through it. And you know, uh, everybody writes your senior year at the end of the year. People always write like notes and stuff in your right. yearbook. Oh yeah, and you had all these, all <laughs> these. You, you could tell you your buddies. Danny, we'll miss you. All all the fun nights we had running around town raising hell, and I didn't know yeah. what. I now I know they were just saying I, I had a good time having fun. You yeah. Know, see yeah. you later. But when they when it said raising hell, I was like, oh gosh, there was some kind of <laughs> devil worshiping or something going on. <laughs> I didn't I didn't understand what what yeah. they were trying to say, but I got it now. So. Yeah. It's, is this mischief? You yeah, know, you're, you're immature until you grow up. So that's funny. And, and sometime when you're 62 or 80, you're still immature in some ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so did you never uh, did you never want to play any sports, or did you just have to work? Or uh, actually, the first sport you know organized sport I played was baseball, mm-hmm. and I didn't know I couldn't catch a outfield ball from a you know a cannonball if you threw it put it in my hands. But I had a pitching arm, and when I was 14, I could actually throw a 90-mile-per-hour fastball. Wow, that's really fast, um, actually. And the I played organized sports because I I tried it. Then I said, well, okay, I got to make some money. Mm-hmm. So I did it for like a half a season. And um, I would go into – the games and I would pitch and I mean, you know, I couldn't throw a 40 mile per hour pitch now, but so I'm not bragging, but back then I was, I was a good fastball guy. And, um, I would literally, the coach would say, you got to slow it down because this is going to, you know, this is not going to, this was like scrimmage games. Mm -hmm. You got to let these guys hit a ball. 
Oh, really? It was fastball, fastball, fastball. Yeah. And they were scared of me because I was wild. Yeah. <laughs> it was a wild pitch, but, you know, I would say 80% of the time it goes right through the strike. But yeah. Every once in a while, you, if it hits you, you'd be dead. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, that is very. That is a very, very fast fastball for that yeah. age. So, yeah. it was uh, – and then, you know, other sports – you know, I worked uh, since I was 14, but uh, I played, you know, back backyard football and church football in the mm-hmm. back of the lot, whatever. But yeah, never got into like you did in football. Yeah, I wish I had, but yeah, well, got to make money somehow. Yeah, but I'm and I'm sure sports back then probably didn't even take up nearly as much as time as it does now. No, uh, no. You know, I think like, I think back then you probably could play basketball, football, and baseball and Oh yeah, we, uh, you could letter in all three. Yeah, uh, and, yeah, and still have a life. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I do know that you lifted a lot of weights. So I've always heard people say in high school you stayed on the weights all the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've, somebody else in the family did that too. Yeah. But uh, you know, as a uh, probably junior year, you know, it was it was typically it was literally the bedroom weight set. Mm-hmm that I saved my money up and went to TGNY or Big K or somebody and bought a weight set mm-hmm. and, you know, just dumbbell and barbell and yeah. put it back then, put in an eight track <laughs> yeah. in the basement. And, uh, you know, I'd probably left for an hour and, yeah. uh, and, you know, so stayed in good shape yeah. in high school. But yeah, it's funny when I, even when I was a, when I was a, like a little kid, and you would like, we'd be like, Dad, flex, you know. I remember, I remember just being like, oh, I've never seen biceps that big in my. I just remember being blown away, like, wow, maybe one day, like that's crazy. Like when you're when you're little like that, you think your dad is like the Mr. Universe pinnacle. Yeah, you think they are like your dad is like the pinnacle of like strength and like fitness and all that. It's funny. <laughs> Yeah, but, yeah. Hopefully, I'll I'll stay in decent shape. Sonny will think I'm the baddest man on the planet. Oh, too. she will, no <laughs> doubt. She probably thinks that now. But. <laughs> yeah. But so, I did want to. I, I did have a note right here that uh, I always like asking people when when they were younger or coming up, just about like some of the crappy jobs that they had. Uh, it's always fun. To, oh yeah. Uh, did you? So did you always just kind of bounce around or did you stick to one area you know my first job at age 14 was scooping ice cream at baskin robbins wow and uh (laughs) it's funny after about a week the the boss my my boss she was a lady she's probably i don't know 50 years old Mm. i was 14 and i was having problems with i can't get the right consistency or the thickness of the scoop <laughs> you know, big important problems right yeah <clears throat> i said no it needs to be a little smaller or it needs to be a little bigger mm-hmm. <laughs> so after listening to her talk about my scoop size yeah i quit <laughs> really <laughs> but <laughs> so anyway that lasted for about a week and then but after that I pretty much did, you know, department stores as a stockman guy. Yeah. Uh, when I got into high school, I uh, some department store work, you know, like big box stores, like you know, similar to Walmart now or 
for Sam's or something. But mm -hmm. uh, but then I got into um, these businesses that, well, a business that um, we had a about a thousand acre cemetery in town. Mm. And I said, okay, that's a lot of grass over there. Yeah. I'm sure they need somebody to mow that grass. You know, they had the cemeteries broken down into plots or places, you know, half acre here. They just kind of, you yeah. know, number it. And so I mowed their grass, and then I learned how to use a backhoe, and I started digging graves. Really? Grave digger. I was, you know, but the backhoe skill was great. I, I literally hadn't done it since I was 19, but. Is it the same uh, one that uh, Grandma's buried in? Yep. That cemetery? Yep. And Papa and uh, yeah. some of my family as well. So yeah. So I dug some graves, and I was one of those guys. If you go to a funeral, you know, they set up the little tent, you know. I set the tents up. And then, you know, you see the guys back in the corner hiding behind the trees. I was one of those guys, you know, waiting for the service to be over. And then when the crowd was gone, you know, we would finish up the grave. Yeah. So. Yeah. That was my most unusual um, job, mainly because a couple times I had to actually help with exhuming a grave that had been there for years and years. Mm. And uh, families were coming in. It's probably some investigation to identify the body. Man, and, after. Uh, ooh. And I bet people look rough. Oh, yeah. <laughs> After that, yeah, of time. yeah, the body it, it will be renewed someday, but you know, yeah, um, sold somewhere else. But anyway, that was uh, that was quite interesting. Just I, a couple times I saw uh, dead bodies in a casket opened that had been in the ground 20, 30 years. Mm. So, man, but that's rough right there. I don't think I'd want to do that. Mm. Yeah, I always, uh, I remember at uh, grandma's funeral, you told me, you said, yeah, when my, uh, I've told several people this because I think it's kind of cool. You said, yeah, when my grandma died, my uncles stayed up half the night and uh, dug her grave by hand because they yep. refused to. My let, uncles did that let for the, my grandmother. Yeah. Yep. Let uh, let the backo dig it. And mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. That's old school right there. Yeah. It's uh, um, <clears throat> my mom's mother. Um, she had my grandmother on my mother's side. She had like six sons, and four of them dug her, dug her grave, and her dad's grave as well. Wow! That's I mean, neat. I was a kid, you know, I saw that happen. So yeah, that's pretty neat. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, and then uh, I guess you kept working in and out at different places, and um, didn't weren't you working at a factory or something? Uh, yeah, you know, toward when I got out of high school, actually. Um, that was 1979, and that fall, I literally went to college mm -hmm. um, in um, Cookville. Tennessee Tech. Tennessee Tech. So uh, that was a different period. Uh, there were so many students that year that they actually put me and a, a roommate in a hotel instead of a dorm room. Oh. So that was kind of a not-so-good idea. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> A dorm, you know, it was a hotel right next to a truck stop. Um, yeah. But, you know, I used to go over there and eat most of my meals. But mm -hmm. anyway, I went to college, but I um, had to save money to pay for college. And I would go to college for a while, then drop out for a while, then get more money, and then go back in. And mm. 
So I started college in 1979, and I graduated with my degree in 1989. Ten-year plan. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess at some point you just said, I'm tired of trying to piece this together, and you just thought that uh, – why why'd you pick the Navy? Was, was it just the – recruiting office you walked into that day type of thing or no um you know i had been i probably had back then we had quarter system not semesters but we were on quarters and i'd finished like a year and a half of college and then marty huddleston my best friend he was the best man my wedding as well he said hey you know he was down in miami florida Mm -hmm. living with a couple of good you know great guys just down there working and um he said, why don't you come down for the summer? I was in between jobs at the time, and uh, we can go into school. It was summertime. So he's, so I literally took a bus and showed up in Miami, Florida. And <laughs> stayed down there for, I think uh, that was probably May. I think I came back in August. Mm-hmm. In the summer. <clears throat> in the summer. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, the guys in the house, they were great guys. They were great Christian men. Uh, we had a big pool out back. I mean, it was like a little resort house, but everybody was poor. Um, you know, you, put, you get six or eight guys together, they can pay any, you know, pay any rent. But Yeah. So anyway, um, showed up at, you know, with Marty and the, the buds and, you know, started going to a church down there. And one of the guys in our little group, he was a Navy uh, recruiter. Oh, okay. Got to know him. You know, just a <clears throat> nice guy, cool guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, where's your office at? And I was just curious. And uh, he showed, he told me. And so I showed up there maybe a week later, just walked in. And uh, long story short, before I knew it, I would signed up for the Navy. <laughs> uh, and the reason why I did that, you know, I had a little college behind me. Wasn't sure what I was going to do, so I was going nowhere and getting there fast. Yeah. So joined the Navy, took a bus back to Nashville. I was I was dating your your mom at the time, obviously, and uh, she was living in Nashville doing some nursing stuff with her living with her sister Jenny, and uh, showed up, and uh, we went for a walk and sat back on a little little grassy bank and said oh by the way i've joined the navy yeah <laughs> now at this time we've been dating almost six years yeah and her reaction was and i paused because that's what she did yeah <laughs> okay i think that's fabulous that's good um and the reason for that, she saw that I had a plan. Yeah. It's all about having a plan. Mm-hmm. So literally the next, uh, uh, probably six weeks later, I left and went to boot camp in Orlando, Florida, and uh, did that and then went to school. You know, you have to have a school when you're in, in the service. You have a job to mm-hmm. do. So you go to school, and that lasts about eight weeks. Yeah. And then orders came out, and uh, – at the end of A school, that's what they called it, A school. And they said, okay, you got two choices. You can go to sea duty or you can go to the Marine Corps. 
then Marine Corps counts for your sea duty. Or if you go to sea duty, you're probably going to be on a ship for the next, you know, four years, six months, increments at a time. Mm. You know, out six months, in three months. Yeah. I was engaged by then yeah. to your mom. See. I said, nah, this probably wouldn't go over well. So I said, yeah, okay, I'll choose the Marine Corps. So I literally went back to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, went through their infantry training school, their, um, I was a, quote, my job was religious program specialist, RP. <laughs> they called it RP for short. Our nicknames were the religious killers Yeah, <laughs> in the Marine Corps. But uh, so did that and. And that, that, uh, that job is technically uh, you're a bodyguard for the chaplain. Right. A chaplain is not is a non-combatant. Not carrying a gun. Not carrying a gun. So I had to learn all the weaponry, the M16, A1, the 45, uh, how to throw a, a shoulder launcher grenade, a hand grenade, all the weaponry involved, how to set up a perimeter for the enemy. Mm. So did, I was a field guy, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, if you're on a ship, it's different. Yeah. But uh, if you're out in the field with the Marines, mm-hmm. it's a different story. So, so why why would a Navy guy be out in the field with the Marines? Did the Navy just supply all that that job to everybody? Or well, the Marine Corps do not have chaplains. Okay. So the Navy furnishes the Marine Corps with chaplains. Okay. And then you come with the chaplain. Exactly. You know, the mm-hmm. Department of the Navy is an umbrella mm-hmm. under the Department of the Navy is the Marines. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that, but it's a branch. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, I I appreciate the, you know, Marines, the Navy, Air Force, Marine, you know, Army, whatever. Yeah. But it's an umbrella on the Department of the Navy. Yeah. So, so anyway, I was uh, uh, a bodyguard for a chaplain, and uh, I carried the 45 and the M16. And, uh, you know, when I, we, my first four and a half years was at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. I was uh, out in the field a lot. Drinking that good water. Getting that good water, which I get a letter about every two months. <laughs> no problems yet, so I think I'm okay. Yeah. But, um, so what was, a, what was the date? So obviously that would be like your um, uh, combat job. But, like, what was, like, uh, the day-to-day job? of that it really it went on increments of you're in your own base at headquarters mm-hmm. and you know you go out every morning at seven thirty. you have to do your three miles and you have to do pt mm-hmm. um then you come in and it's pretty much it's kind of like an admin job after that mm-hmm. um then you go on deployment to the field you know you have field exercises so that's that was a fun part mm-hmm. uh wasn't necessarily fun for my wife, but because yeah. I was gone at weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. But you know, so it was. You know, I did. I did uh, three deployments. I went to Norway for cold weather survival in '85 and '86. I was over there for about 45 days at a time. Yeah. And then my last year, I went to Honduras uh, in Nicaragua during the Reagan administration and. Uh, Saw some live action around there, but, um, you know, nothing too serious. But So mm-hmm. I did three deployments, you know. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, was the, you know, was joining the Navy and like all of a sudden getting into that structure, was it a, was it a shock to you or did you, you feel like you kind of fell in line with it quick? No, you know, I joined the Navy. I was actually older than most of the guys. I was 22 years old Mm -hmm. and most of these guys are 18, 19. Yeah. Um, So I was, you know, lack of better words, more mature, you know, about two years or maybe four years. Well, that's that's a big four years. Yeah, (laughs) it is. So, you know, when I went to boot camp, my my drill instructors uh, discovered, okay, they saw a resume on me. I did a lot of youth work, all athletics. So I was suddenly, they said, um, Petty Officer Haynes, you're our new athletic Petty Officer. Mm. So every morning you have to get up and you have to set the pace for all the runs. You have to set the pace for the push-ups and the set-ups. And so, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Okay. But, man, that was mm-hmm. – got you in great shape. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> so, you know, was it in – what is it – was it enjoyable or was it uh, one of those things where, like, I'm doing this for a reason to get done with school and to get me going on the right direction and I'm out of here? Like, did you ever think about, I'm going to put my 20 in and retire and then? Yeah, you know, I did both ways. I thought, you know, okay, this is a a good avenue for me to finish college. Mm. Um, And when I went in, I did obviously had some college behind me, so I was at a higher rank when I got out of boot camp. Yeah. Um, So then after the first, you know, four and a half years at Camp Lejeune with the Marines, I said, okay, this is kind of cool. I've enjoyed this. Mm -hmm. So that – my uh, military career could have been over by then, mm-hmm. but I extended for three. And so now it's time for shore duty. Yeah. So here you go. Here's your orders. They show up. Um, Naval Air Station, Millington, Tennessee. Millington. Which is Memphis area. Yeah. And uh, so I showed up at the Naval Hospital uh, in Millington. And uh, I was, quote, the chaplain's assistant, religious program specialist. Mm-hmm. Different role. You know, back there, you're doing grunt work. You're out in the field. Yeah. Here, you're nothing but an admin type person. I mean, mm. but I appreciate that. I learned so much about admin from that job. Yeah. But, you know, I worked for a Baptist chaplain. I worked for a Catholic priest. Mm. I worked uh, eh, a little bit for a, even a Muslim. Yeah. Um, so you learn all these different denominations, and yeah. you, you just help them out, you know. Yeah, that's neat. So, yeah. so it was really educational, too, just oh, yeah. to get, like, a good grip on uh, – I always think it's cool to learn a, a little bit about everybody's everybody's deal. So it's, what during that, you know, you're going to school and college for, what, healthcare management? Healthcare, yep. Healthcare management degree, yep. Um, so what, what, what made you join? Like, want to do that? Uh, well, I was, you know, I was stationed at the Naval Hospital, and on the fifth floor of that hospital, there was a little office there called Southern Illinois University. Mm-hmm. So I walked in one day and said, "Okay, what you guys, what you guys doing? What you got going on?" And I said, "I have all these credits." And this guy set me down. He said. You know, we offer like five different degrees here, but it's your credits would perfectly align to healthcare administration. Hmm. I said, okay. I said, what's the math look like? Yeah. You like <laughs> and me. Uh, 
Okay, you have, you have to pass uh, Algebra 2. I said, okay. <laughs> so, literally, I went through that course, and it was the best education because, unlike normal colleges, you know, you go to school, you know, during the week. and Yeah. I went to school every weekend for 16 months. Mm-hmm. I'd show up, and all the instructors were hospital CEOs or material management, you know, department heads of the hospital, the head nurse of a hospital, uh, the CFO, chief financial officer of the hospital. These were real people with real jobs teaching us how to do the job. Yeah. Was it, you know, opening up textbook, you know, this to, and read chapter three. Yeah. This is a totally hands-on, or from the speaker it was hands-on because they, they were doing the job. That was the best education I ever received. That's so. awesome. Cool. So where did you, where did you uh, finally walk at? Where would you get your d- degree from? What's, which college? That school was, was Southern Illinois University out of Carbondale, Illinois. Huh. Never. Well, I went to the campus one time. Really? Um, but I wonder if they have any sports teams or anything now. I mean, yeah, and Southern Illinois, they're a pretty big college. Really? Yeah. But, you know, I was a satellite yeah. college guy. So So you never uh, went to Austin P any? I went to Austin P right after Tennessee Tech, you know, I lasted their quarter, ran out of money, bit. went to Austin P. Yeah. So, you know, all these credits from these places you know, got me to where I, I cashed in, got an associate degree, and then cashed that in at Southern Illinois and got a, a four-year degree. Nice. So, uh, what was, I mean, what was, um, got out of the Navy, and what, what year was that when you got out of the Navy? 1990. And Tyler was already born. I was born at some well, point during then. Tyler and Garrett were born. Yeah. You were born four days before my Navy service was over. All right. So I was a military. So you were free. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You know, we, we paid, your mom and I paid $25 per kid. Wow. Uh, and that was basically her food in the hospital. Yeah. Um, so, you know, everything was paid for. But yeah, we were like sweating it. Okay, oh man. You know, Stanley's born after this date. You know, yeah. we're going to come out of pocket like, you know, five grand back. You know. <laughs> sure, you don't want to re enlist for another year. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's funny that. That was uh, April of 1990 Mm. um, when I officially got out because you were born in March. Mm. And Desert Storm happened in August. Mm. I was mad. Really? You know, if you you do the time in the Marine Corps and the Navy, you know, you really don't see any action. Kind of want to. A man thinks, man, Mm -hmm. I wish I was still in. You know, yeah, that's just a that's just a gene of man. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> so anyway, Desert Storm happened. I didn't have any, I didn't didn't have to do any reserve time, so there's no commitment anymore for me. So out. I'm out. So what was uh what was your first job as a as a, a administrator? I guess is what that would have been. Well, the first job after my degree was uh, as a recruiter recruiting for nurses and certified nursing technicians. Mm, okay. Uh, Miller Mott Business College okay. in Clarksville. So I'd go out and, you know, try to recruit these students to come in and start their degree for, you know, yeah. to be in a, an LPN and a, and a CNA. But, uh, I'm sure that was a big paying job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. 
Um, <laughs> you told me one time, you said, I was an administrator one time back in the day, and I made like 20 grand or something. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that was, that was, you know, that was hard times, you know. Um, for a while, then, you know, think about relationships. Um, everything comes, or most careers get you started from somebody you know. Mm-hmm. You got connections, you can get a job. Um, my mother knew someone in West Tennessee who was a vice president of a healthcare company, and oh, your son has a healthcare degree. Mm-hmm. Call out of the blue. I mean, I didn't have a clue this was coming, and I went uh, to an interview, and uh, I didn't know how to. I didn't know what Medicaid was, Medicare. I didn't know anything about healthcare. I had the degree, but mm. no practical experience. But yeah, but you know, I learned that if you can smile, walk down the hallway, and tie your shoes, and and put a suit on, yeah, everybody thinks you're smart. Yeah, <laughs> man. So you fake it till you make it. Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to. It's kind of the game. So what? While you were doing that. Did you kind of um, like adopt your own? Everybody has their own style of managing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some people are kind of uh, micromanagers a little bit, which I wouldn't recommend. Some people, yep. are, you know, everybody's kind of. Some people are more stern. Maybe some people are real laid back. Just going through that uh, through the years of of doing that, like what kind of managing style do you think you kind of adopted in all that? I adopted, which was natural for me, is I learned that if you're not approachable to your employees, they will not share results with you or events with you. Mm. You got to be out there. I hated the desk. So I would, you know, you had, you know, the corporate world makes you do, they make you spend five hours a day in the office. If you don't, you know, you're behind. But the other three to four hours, I would, all I would do, I'd walk around the building, talk to people, get to know their families, um, nurse passing meds. I'd walk by, you know, he or she, and just talk to them and mm-hmm. um, cut up with them. You got to get to know them, and you just got to be, okay, this guy's not a threat to me. Mm-hmm. He's actually a mentor to me. And, and in that position, you know, as the executive of the building um if you're approachable and you you just love on your people Mm -hmm. they'll do anything for you yeah yeah i think it's that's really important to shake off some of that intimidation factor of being like the boss you know yeah uh now yeah you have to set high standards sure but you know they knew that you can still do that at the same time though exactly people can know what's expected and the, and the ground rules and everything and still be like, we can all, you know, it's all good. Mm-hmm. You know, do, do your job and it's all good. So, and that's, that, I think that is a really important thing. When I was uh, working at Adam's place, NHC, uh, man, I really liked uh, uh, Buckley Winfrey there. Yeah, he's still there. Yeah. I saw him yesterday, talked to him. Yeah, I really like, man, I always liked him, you know, I was 21 years old. Yeah. I didn't care. I mean, you know, he shouldn't, he should not care about me. 
worked in the kitchen was a grill line cook mm-hmm. and uh like he'd just come back there you know what's up staley you've been running you know what you've been doing and he'd come back there and talk to you i mean you you could never walk past that guy in the hall without him you know calling you by name yep. asking you what's up you know just ask about what you're doing you know how many you know how much how many more semesters you got you know just and and you can tell because he would say stuff that made me realize, like, oh, he remembered about the thing that we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. And, and probably because he genuinely cares. Exactly. Because <laughs> you tend to remember things that you care about. And uh, that went a long way with a lot of people that worked there. I oh, think. yeah. Because, yeah, uh, uh, you know, man, he, didn't, he didn't have to – he was in a completely different – league of life than me and i was just some college kid flipping stakes in the back so oh yeah I, you know in my later years you know when i say later years i meant five years ago i did some interim work you i'd go into these buildings that didn't have an administrator mm-hmm. and i'd hang out there for 30 60 days and just kind of run the building until they found a, a replacement mm-hmm. and that's a different world you don't have the you don't have to do a lot of corporate bs stuff yeah, because they know you're an interim. Um, so I used to spend my day. I'd go back to the kitchen. And I'd come in every morning and I'd, I'd eat a piece of bacon. Yeah. Then I say, okay, uh, dishwasher's full, so I'd go back and do dishes. Yeah. Then I'd go in the laundry. And I said, man, it's piling up, so I'd do some laundry. Yeah. And just kind of run around. Just <laughs> run around. I mean, it was fun. Yeah. And they were paying me big bucks, <laughs> yeah. and I was just out there just living life yeah and uh so but those and you know that they hated to see me you know me go because most administrators you know they have that i'm in the office i'm the ceo of this building you know mm-hmm. not all of them obviously but yeah they they said okay wow yeah it's all about the people yeah so. there's definitely stereotypes and um i've i've i think i've asked you talked to you about this before but uh, I think it's important. I think people maybe get something out of this. You've probably done a lot of interviews in your time. Oh, yeah. uh, you on one side of the table getting interviewed and you doing the interview in, I'm sure, both sides. Yeah. Uh, just in general, when you're interviewing somebody, what's what's like the basic things that you're like trying to get out of that from them? You know, I had a little system when I was interviewing people. Uh, I would interview, you know, folks. It could be anywhere from the the director nursing over the whole building or the, the, the chef for the kitchen or the maintenance director. Mm. And I would sit in my car and wait for them to drive up. Oh, really? I didn't care what their car they drove up. I mean, that didn't mean... But how they presented themselves, how they came out and walked down the sidewalk, and that just gave me clues um, of who they, miniature clues of who they were. And then they'd come into my office, or I'd meet them in a conference room, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, first five minutes is nothing but, you know, just chewing the fat. Yeah. You know, get to know them. And if you get them on a comfort level, They'll share a lot of things with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew who was, you know, this guy's probably, or this woman's going to be probably a good a good risk for me to take. Or mm-hmm. No, after about 30 seconds, this person's probably not a good risk for us. <laughs> yeah. 
um, it was less about the, hey, can you do this job? It was more about who they were. You can teach anybody to do anything, most yeah. part. But you can't teach the lady or the man who they are. How to act. How to act. Yeah. And um, I think there were literally, I, hired, I probably hired 20 administrators, you know, over these buildings in my career. And I had two failures, but 18 good ones. Yeah. And they stayed with me the whole time. Only time they left, well, I, actually, I left companies and went somewhere else, but they were still there when I left. But mm. So it's all about, you know, teaching them, uh, treating them right, and uh, being part of their their world. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, and on the other side of that, getting interviewed, uh, I like to think I'm a decent, I'm pretty good at it. I always try, and just to give an example, the job I'm in now, um, I came in very low level in the job I'm in now, um, but they had a real bad experience with an employee before me All right. uh, that was in that position that they had to let go. So they were kind of being uh, real careful in the interview process, and I had two interviews for it uh, for a pretty low-level job, too. I thought that was kind of kind of wild and I didn't know anything about golf I didn't know anything about <laughs> golf maintenance I'd played golf yep. at the VA golf course one time with Parker Caskey 12-15 years yep. ago I didn't know nothing uh, but I knew I liked working outside I knew mm -hmm. how to mow grass you know I knew how to do stuff yeah. uh, and I just went in there and you know I was real honest and answered all the questions as best as I could and I, at the end of it, I said, look, man, I said, uh, I work in a factory right now, and I can't stand it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I said, I love being outside. I said, I'm a good employee. I've never been in trouble at any job I've ever had. I, I'm, you don't miss work. I don't miss work. <laughs> Unless you're on deathbed. I bring my <laughs> lunch. I, I work every day. I'm not a problem, and I can learn anything you want to teach me. Yep. And so I got a second interview, um, and I just – because he cause – I, I, technically, I was running my own lawn care business on the side when I was doing this. Right. And, and one of his last questions was, he was like, look, man, he goes, uh, you're basically taking a pay cut to come here and work, and I just don't really understand why you want to come work here. And I just basically went into a big spill about how I just think happiness is more important than um, – Chasing, right. chasing, chasing down the dollar, dollar. chasing yep. down dollars, and he and after the fact, years later, my boss told me he said that comment right there, and um, one of the guys in the interview who was the director of the whole golf department uh, knew one of my football coaches from back in the day, hmm. and he called he called Coach Wyant, and Coach Wyant said, "Don't let him leave that building without giving him that job." I'm telling you. <laughs> so those two yep. things right there. Uh, got me the job but uh you know a lot of times when people when they come in and they and they they, they almost come in acting like they're a know-it-all already oh yeah. yeah and it's like man i don't really you gotta care. be humble yeah, yeah it's like i don't yeah. really care about how much uh you think you know because we're gonna want you to do things the way that we do them and you may know how to do that but you may do it in a different way mm -hmm. so 
like I'm more interested in attitude and track record and yeah. A man with character can do anything you can teach. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. So, that's been that's been a theme for me because I've, I mean, I got, I've had a bunch of random jobs and pretty much been good at all of them. And, and you know, and the thing about you know, you don't know the job specifically, the skills of it, but I learned when I was in my teens, then versus in my twenties, then you get in your thirties. And suddenly you try things, and you say, man, i got skills I didn't know I had. Yeah. Things just come together, mm-hmm. and you challenge things. And uh, so, you know, with age comes wisdom, mm-hmm. you know, but it also comes with taking risk and learning new skills. Yeah, so I agree. Well, I know you had a bunch of different uh, jobs in the healthcare administrator vice president stuff kind of all different a bunch of roles um pretty sought after from what i understand uh how many years 30 something years i became a licensed administrator in 1991 and i literally retired my license in 2022 okay so so looking looking back on uh and you're not out of it you know you got uh, next stage for seniors and all that now, and right. still got your got your you know one foot in it. My Paul sure. ends, yeah, yep. yeah, for sure. But looking back on, I don't know if you want to call it your more corporate career or whatever it is. Uh, what do you What are you just most proud of about that portion of your life? That you know the corporate career, you know, corporate life. What I really enjoyed about it is. I love to mentor men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to take a slate that knew either no knowledge or very little knowledge, but had great character as I go back to that mm-hmm. and teach them. And when I say teach them, I mean, walk beside them and do the job with them. A lot of OJT. Mm-hmm. Um, to me that to see them grow and become successful and uh, that was fabulous, but I rarely ever had turnover unless I turned them over. Mm-hmm. And I never turned anybody over unless, you know, they did something illegal or immoral or, yeah. uh, you know, everybody deserves a chance. You can, everybody screws up. So, yeah. but that's, that's when you teach. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they don't take the teaching, yeah, then, then you have to go a different route. But, yeah. but the mentoring... And the retention I always had as a, you know, whether as an administrator or vice president of business development or operations, I, I thought, okay, I, you know, I'm, I'm investing in these people's lives, so they're staying with me. That means, you know, I'm giving them enough room to grow. I'm not micromanaging them. I always loved when I hired somebody smarter than me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, many times I, in, a, in a company, I had folks that worked, you know, under me, but these guys were rock stars. And the only reason why I'd come to their building is uh, I'm going to take this guy out to lunch or this woman out to lunch because they're doing a fabulous job. Yeah. I just say, keep doing what you're doing. 
and you know you need to take the next two Fridays off because you're doing a great job. Yeah. So I used to always reward them with unexpected rewards. Man, that's so important. Yeah. People don't realize like how much a little praise will go. Oh yeah. Uh, the the smallest thing to just pat somebody on the back and like, hey man, by the way, you're doing a really good job. Oh yeah. Dude, you go home and tell you, man, my boss came up today and told me I'm doing a really good. Make you have a good weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, give you confidence. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, I did a lot of things. You know, sometimes the old statement is uh, ask forgiveness before you ask permission. Yeah. Uh, you know, when it was time to, you know, the annual evaluation come along, okay, the company's capped out at 3%. Well, that's squeezing a little 5% in there. Yeah. And then it, it, it might or may not come back to me, and but usually it never come back to me because my results of that building were typically outstanding. Yeah. So nobody, nobody questioned it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's awesome. So what advice would you give to a young person coming fresh out of college, getting into healthcare management today? What, what, what advice would you give them? Uh, number one, be humble, mm-hmm. and, and that means don't be an office rat. Be out there in the hallways, get in the middle of it, get dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, roll your sleeves up. Help, you know, go just through the building and, and be a, uh, a part of that department. Yeah. Um, and then constantly, you know, tell them, if they deserve to be praised because they're doing a great job, do that constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did learn, you know, probably after 15 years, if you know somebody, you invested in them, they're not doing a great job. You reinvest, they're not doing a great job. Sometime I was guilty of not pushing the, the cord too quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, oh, okay, okay, now i got to really rebuild. Yeah. So I should have listened. As you said, um, I heard one of your podcasts, Listen to your gut. Yeah. Um, I was being too nice and too, oh, okay, man, this guy's got two kids and a baby. And, but I learned after a while he's going to be more successful somewhere else. Yeah. Because this is not his skill level. Yeah. He could flourish somewhere else. Yeah. But so, this is not. This is yeah, not his thing. Not the ideal thing for him. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, that's hard to do. Um, but it's a, a part of it. So, and another thing I want to ask you about healthcare management, was it ever a hard balance between like trying to provide the best patient care that you can and also trying to make a profit? Because, uh, you know, you have to make money right? too, but you're also in healthcare. So you, your patients are your number one focus, but let's be honest, it's also a a business so yeah it's it's a big balance and you know in the corporate world you get hit from all ends mm-hmm. uh the never-ending conference calls the you know the, those type things but it's kind of like if you're a good leader and you go through the building and you discover what needs to be done mm-hmm Maybe you don't have a clue how to fix it, but you surround yourself with the smart people in the building. 
Yeah. And when I say smart people, I don't mean the director of nursing. I mean the CNA at the lowest level sometimes will yeah. give you the best answer or the nurse who was just hired two weeks ago. Yeah. I always, you know, in healthcare, you have these meetings called quality assurance meetings. You have to have them monthly. And usually it's the department heads, it's the administrator, the head of nursing, the social worker, the dietary manager. I started bringing in the CNAs, the housekeepers, and the cooks. Yeah. So these guys know what they're doing. They mm. see it every day. The housekeeper knows more about these patients than some of our nurses do. Yeah. Oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that that's you got to get humbled. you got to, you know, the most humble person position-wise in the building can teach you major leadership skills. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how, you know, I operated. But, yeah. uh, well, that's, that's, uh, that's all good stuff. I think people can take something away from that. But after a while, you pulled the cord on the corporate – corporate world and jumped into airbnb and yeah it's uh you know your mom and i you know she she's always been you know your mom is like let me have the the house set up and operating that was her skill that was her uh talent Mm -hmm. amongst a hundred other talents yeah but um that was a risk we took you know we went to north carolina literally on a airbnb trip and loved the place and said okay we can do this we have an upstairs that's not being used. Mm-hmm. It has a separate entrance. <laughs> yeah. So we came home in June, and I, I think it was middle of June, maybe my birthday, maybe July 19th. I said, okay, by September 1st, we need to be open for the upstairs. So we opened it. It flourished. did great. We did it for five years. And about two years into that first five years, we started. We bought a cottage downtown Main Street, off Main Street on Billboro. And that thing is still going, a 1927 vintage cottage that uh, stays booked all the time. And uh, so that was, you know, starting the first, quote, business after the corporate world. Yeah. And then, you know, I did some interims after we started the Airbnbs. I said, okay, I'm going to go run this building to be this little CEO here for a while. And Mm -hmm. then I just got tired of the corporate bureaucracy and the, the conference calls and I said, eh, I don't know I'm over this. You know. yeah. So um, I said, you know, we need to start a business. And I said, it's so hard for these seniors to, number one, find places they can comfortably move into, and number two, move them in. Because mm-hmm. uh, I experienced from an administrator, these seniors going into these communities, you know, the brother-in-law moves them in or some, some company – just does the job but doesn't know the extra mile they have boxes sitting around six eight weeks later there's not a piece of artwork hung up on their walls it looks awful yeah i said they don't have the resources mm-hmm. they don't know what to do so literally i i had the pathway i knew the knowledge and your mom had the decorating skills yeah and i said let's start next stage for seniors mm-hmm. um we both we literally sat around one night and came up with the logo with their sister, Deanne. It's kind of a, tr- a trifold there. Yeah. Started it literally two years and two weeks ago. And uh, going well. Going well, you know. I think it's a great service. I, 
I, I think it's a big benefit. Uh, I didn't really know that that uh, aspect of uh, healthcare even kind of existed, like what y'all are doing. I didn't know. Uh, which y'all y'all are pretty unique in what y'all do. I yeah, we're a very hybrid model. Yeah, it's not. Uh, I've never seen another thing like exactly what y'all do, but uh, it's pretty neat. I, uh, and you're right. <clears throat> you know, look, state the facts. An old person uh, has probably been living in a house for a long time. The average old person. Mm-hmm. And their house is set up. They got the picture of their family over here. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, it's their favorite picture. And they got their great-grandma's uh, dresser over here that they've, you know, prized possession. And, uh, you know, you have to leave your home. Um, it, and, and then go into a small apartment and you're just staring at drywall with yep. nothing's familiar right. and you got a TV in your room and you just, you know, watch the prices right all day. And you, <laughs> you just feel like the farthest thing away from is home. Right. Exactly. Um, so it makes a huge difference when you can come in there, put memorabilia up from their life, uh, you know, items in their, in their, uh, apartment that were in their home, Yep. Their favorite chair, their dresser, their their mirror, their uh, you know very familiar things that they've been around most of their life, and and it's, and it's not clutter free. You know, it's clutter free. It's not yeah. you know crowded and it's comfortable. If you yeah. go into a a home or anybody's home, if it if you got too much stuff, it's stressful. So yeah. we, we learned that mm. you got to keep it not necessarily hotel like, but. Yeah. Hotel is a start, and then add just a little after that. Yeah, um, and then it's like, okay, this is bigger than I thought it was. Yeah, so, but I think that makes a huge difference in in the morale of uh, you know so, older folks. It, we set a great foundation for the first you know week of someone moving in, which is huge. I mean, it, everything's built on a foundation, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you don't want to start off on a bad foot. When, no. Because it's not comfortable. A lot of times people have to kind of be, not forced, but they get into a situation where they kind of got to go to a home and they need to go soon. Yeah. Uh, just because it's gotten to that point. So. You know, one of the, you know, this business, you know, I've been in it two years, has done very well. Um, we work probably average of three days a week. And uh, my goal was to, you know, not use, you know, I've worked 30 years in the corporate world, whatever. You know, you have your retirement funds. I say, okay, from 62 forward or 61 forward, I just need to do something to keep me. I don't want to touch my retirement funds, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah that's logical. And it's more than done that. Um, but the real success of this business is there's three parts. You know, your mom and I, we have the background knowledge. She's a nurse. She's a registered nurse. Mm-hmm. So she helps with the safety functionality of the business. Yeah. But we have about 11 employees that work for us. They're all from our church, Fellowship Bible Church. And these are women and men that we have known for at least five, six years mm-hmm. minimum. They're doing this. They don't even care if they get paid. 
I pay them well. But you get a bunch of women into setting up an apartment, setting up a house. (laughs) It's just like one big slumber party. Yeah. (laughs) They like it. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, and my guys, you know, I've got some college kids that, you know, one's in engineering, about ready to graduate from robotics from engineering school, MTSU. Yeah. And another guy that's helped me forever. He's he's my age, literally, but uh, he retired at sixty, and yeah, and just wants something to do. Yeah, you know, that's all great. all people of great character. So yeah, that's awesome. That's that's all good stuff, and um, you know, that that's a uh, it came out of left you know left field. I didn't think well, because I was like asking mom, I was like, hey. I'd like to throw dad a retirement party. And she was like, oh, well, he's not retiring. I was like, well, he quit his job. <laughs> she's like, no. She was like, he's, we're, and then she told me, she's like, we're starting this. And so it's been, I think it's good. And, you know, I'm sure it's not got a chance to work with your wife. That's no, uh, I mean, unusual. Yeah, you, you know, it's, it's one of these situations. She's very talented in what she does. Mm-hmm. And you, you leave her alone. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm the grunt guy, mm-hmm. and something about the corporate world versus my world now, mm-hmm. I totally enjoy doing manual labor. Yeah. Picking up sofas, chairs, whatever. Yeah. Buffet, you know. That, to me, at the end of the day, I've usually a normal job takes about 17,000 steps. Mm-hmm. So I've done six, seven miles of walking. I've lifted, you know, 4,000 pounds. Yeah. I sleep good at night. Yeah. But, you know, I feel like it's going to in- increase my longevity. Oh, it will. Stay moving. <laughs> Stay moving, right? Well, I've noticed a theme about your career. Uh, even though you spent most of your working career as a higher up uh, at the top of management, it seems like the, the things that you enjoyed the most about that was doing – having the ability to just hold relationships mm-hmm. and stay like pretty grounded with the common stuff. Yep. It's like, yeah, I got the nice office and the, and the, you know, I'm the top person here, but you know, I kind of like running around in the laundry room. I kind of like, yep. you know, talking to people and uh, probably the least favorite part sounds like was, you know, conference calls and oh, you know, yeah. all the fluff of that. It was probably the least <laughs> favorite part of that kind of stuff. So. Exactly. You know, you know, the corporate world brought me, you know, to where I'm at. Everybody has parts and pieces to make them who they are. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I, I told you a few days ago, my theme song, I'm a simple man. Yeah. My Leonard Skinner, you know, I'm a classic rock and roll guy. Mm-hmm. Grew up in, you know, well, high school years were in the 70s and, yeah. So the classic music, you know, I don't know if they'll ever make music as good as that again, but yeah, in the '60s and '70s and part of the '80s. But um, mm-hmm. it, you know, I'm I'm literally all about humility um, yeah. and try to be. Uh, I think our Lord Jesus Christ was an example. Mm-hmm. I'm far from him, but he was humble and uh, he took care of the people. So. Well, that's the example we try to follow the best we can. We're never going to get it. Nope. 100% right, but probably not meant to. But Well, that's awesome. Well, <clears throat> I know uh, there's a couple of other things I want to talk about, and I'll let you go. I know you're probably hungry, but um, 
parenting um, for my generation right now is big. A lot of people my age are having kids. And what what do you think <clears throat> one of the most rewarding aspects of just being a dad in in general has been? Um, just from the time we were born to kind of current day, what what do you? Yeah. I know it's a big yeah, question. You, you don't remember these days because <clears throat> you're too young. You know, all all of my sons, you know, raised three boys, but and they're all about eighteen months apart. And you know, Staley here is the youngest, but um, at the you know at the crib stage, you know, I couldn't do a whole lot before then. Yeah, I'd hold you guys, but uh, your mom did most of it. But uh, just creative outside play mm-hmm. uh, is huge. Let them get scuffed up. Let them get roughed up. Yeah. That's the biggest teacher you can ever have. You know, you got to keep them safe and, and watch over them. But yeah. you don't really, you don't, I don't care if you're a girl or a little boy, you don't need to create sissies. Yeah. Um, and they will become strong women or strong men. Uh, that's a big part of it. But yeah, just being there, you know. Uh, and But, you know, that – that was a big part of me, but the biggest thing I ever did to help you boys grow up and get on the right stretch and still there is I found a a wife that loved the God, my God, more than she loved me. Yeah. And you take her Proverbs 31 woman and you got a good future. Yeah. Um, you know, I can, I'm provider, I'm out there working, trying to kill it, but, you know. Yeah. But still, I always tried to be there. And uh, then, you know, so many phases as, you know, growing kids. But in the high school years, in the junior high school years, you know, you guys were homeschooled. So mm-hmm. your mom was a huge part of success of that. But yeah, uh, but supporting you guys in sports. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite times for at least four years was Friday night football when you were yeah. – Playing fullback or running back, yeah, and our own defense, yeah. But it was, it was uh, a good time. I remember uh, at some at some time in there when I was playing football, um, you were on the job search, and uh, I think you may have you were maybe having a hard time finding something that uh, kept you home more. Right. I think you had a lot of options. You were just trying to be. You wanted to be home on Friday night because right. you wanted to be at the game. <laughs> and I remember mom told me, she goes, you know, dad's looking and he's got a lot of options, but he wants to be home, especially on the weekends. And and she goes, you know, Staley, he told me he'll if he has to, he'll work at Home Depot during football season just so he can go to your games. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I was like, well, don't do that. But yeah. <laughs> but, but it didn't matter, you know, if it was you or it was Tyler doing something or, or yeah. Garrett. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it was, uh, you know. <clears throat> You got to be there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the funny thing about parenting, you know, the question was, and you, you know, you have one child now, Sonny, but who's uh, an angel? You may have, you may have one more. You may not have no more. You may have three more. Yeah. But each child typically is totally different from the one before. Yeah. You can see that example in our family. Mm-hmm. You know, you were the outside, rough them, tough them, climbing trees, 
probably should have broke more bones than you did. Yeah. Um, Garrett was a very intellectual person. Mm-hmm. He loved to read. You became who you are. You love the outdoors. You you had skills related to that. Now, mm-hmm. Garrett, he was the reader. He was the tech guy. Mm-hmm. Well, what is he doing now? He's he's reading the law. Yeah, he's an attorney. Tyler was more of a business type mind. Yeah, he was very interested in you know okay what kind of deal can I make here or there scheming yeah. scheming, and that's exactly who he is. Yeah, he yeah. was that as a kid. Yeah. You can see that by typically age six or seven. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool that uh, – I think it's something to be proud of as a parent. You raise three different mm-hmm. individuals, you know. Um, and, man, uh, Jeffro, last week he was um, he was just saying, like, about his girls, like, I'm just thankful that I have good kids. Yep. Because <laughs> you know? yep. it, it can go south. And it does for some people. And when you get to the end of the road and your kids leave the house and they blaze through their college years, you know, they kind of settle down like we all are now more, you know, we're all grown and mm-hmm. and everything's, everybody made it, everybody's good. I bet it's like, whew, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that went well. <laughs> but something to be proud of, it, it, it really is. And uh, I think, I think, uh, Everybody has different parenting styles. Um, obviously, you and mom had different parenting styles. And I've always told people about you. I said, my, I said, my dad, he's not a guy that's gonna like just pound you with words all the time, and he's not gonna, he's not just real vocal about like everything you're doing right or wrong. Uh, maybe a little bit more vocal about praising, but uh, I said he he was always gave us space to make mistakes mm-hmm. and, and do things. And I, I felt like you always just put a little, maybe a little bit more stock in just like being parenting by example. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause you weren't like the, the dad in the, in the, in the bleachers. What are you or, doing? God, you better not <laughs> miss another shot. You know, that wouldn't, I never heard that stuff. No. Um, no. And I just, I think that's, I think a lot. I think I think I'll, I'll adopt a lot of that. Um, yeah, you know, you gotta you gotta give your kids flexibility to make mistakes. Uh, uh, failure is one of the best educations in the world. Yeah, uh, as long as it's safe, mm-hmm. um, as long as it's in the in the parameters or in the curves of going in the right direction. But yeah, it, you got to give people the freedom to learn from their mistakes. Yeah. So. And like I think it, I think stuff translates. Uh, like I saw you work so hard, and you know, even if you're a kid, you still understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you had different jobs. Sometimes you had in-home offices, and then you right. have traveling jobs, both. But you still saw the same pattern of like he's pretty, you know, he works hard, and you can see that even though it's not like physical work in the backyard, right. you still notice like he keeps his nose to the grindstone type of thing. And I, I, I've always said, I think that's where I get my work ethic from. Uh, not from, cause you know, you don't just, you don't just show up as a 13 year old at your first football practice as a, as a workhorse. All right. <laughs> you gotta, you had to kind of learn that from somewhere. Yeah. Uh, 
And if you're surrounded by that coming up, I think it translates into everything. So, yeah. Um, that's uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, it's important. And but, anyways, I know we've been talking for a while, so I'll get back into my my podcast stuff. And I know I always do the hitters of the week. And you had a um, uh, a request, "Simple Man" by Leonard Skinner. Yep. So that song must resonate with you to be a simple man. Yeah, you know, it's a foundation song. You know, too much junk in your mm-hmm. life is too much. You mm-hmm. got to be humble and kind of set an outline and try to stay to the outline. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, like the song says, find a good wife, find a good, find your God mm-hmm. and do the right thing and things will take mm-hmm. care of itself. Yeah. So just be a simple man. Yeah, that is a that is an anthem song. Mama told me. Yeah. yeah. When I was young. Yeah, that's a. <laughs> I've always loved that song too, and I I got two more songs because I do, I always do three hitters of the week, and I kind of I kind of went through my playlist and all my music and was trying to. There was a bunch of songs that uh, I thought related to you or things that you like. And the second one is Millionaire by Chris Stapleton. Um, hmm. And the basic chorus of the song is, uh, they say love is more precious than gold. It can't be bought and it can't be sold. And it kind of goes through the song. And it basically, the theme of the song is, I'm happy. I got someone I love. People love me. And that makes me a millionaire. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that resonated good with your life oh, and that's, what that's, you, your belief system, because um, it's not all about money; it's about no, who you are. And you know, the funny thing about you know, you'll get there. Everybody does. The older you get, you learn that material possessions aren't the most important thing. Yeah, it's all about your God and your people and your your family. So, yeah. um, absolutely. So. And the third one, um, just kind of funny, um, since you've stepped out of the uh, corporate career and uh, put down your license, is Take This Job and Shove It <laughs> by Johnny Paycheck. Hey, yeah, that's an old classic. <laughs> I think that was the 80s, yeah. 82 or something. So <laughs> those are the hitters of the week. Simple Man by Leonard Skinner, Millionaire by Chris Stapled, and Take This Job and Shove It. A Johnny Paycheck. and uh, uh, Good playlist. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I always do a quote of the week, uh, or just a quote in general. I like to flip. Just, uh, I pull quotes from songs, people, just whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll, sometimes I'll look them up, athletes, different things. And this is actually a quote from you. And I probably don't remember telling me this, but uh, a long time ago, um, we had some neighbors that were going through a hard time and uh, I think you helped them out or, or essentially paid for them to go on a family vacation because they needed it. Um, and I was, I was young when that happened. And I remember uh, talking to you about it, being like, Dad, I can't wait. You know, are they, and I remember asking you, are they going to pay you back? And you said, uh, if you give something to someone, 
give it to them with the understanding that you'll never get it back. Yeah. Um, basically, you were saying... Don't expect it back. Don't yeah. expect it back. Yeah. If, if you're going to give... You're going to give. Just give. <laughs> and maybe if you do get something back, great. But yeah. uh, don't expect anything back. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've followed that. Uh, I've followed that advice pretty, pretty closely. Uh, and it's worked out well. And it's, um, you know, prevented... It's been a preventative for problems. You know, I'm not saying I sit here and loan out money or anything to anybody, but you know, it's anything. That that's not just about money. That's a, yeah. that's you know, I give my time to a lot of people. Exactly. Uh, I've I've helped people with projects, and you know, if I come to your house and help you build a deck one day, I don't expect you to come help me build mine next right. year. It's not about the payback. Uh, yeah. No. Um, it's it's about when you you know when you give you know everybody. Real quick, I think everybody has spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. You got to use those gifts to influence the most people you can in your life. Mm-hmm. Whether that's giving, whether that's something simple as cooking or fishing, you can find friends and teach them how to do that. Yeah. Uh, so share yourself, and uh, then you'll be the the happiest man around. So yeah. Well, well, that being said, and. Uh, the only other quote I can quote you on is uh, don't let your mortgage be more than 20% of your. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I followed that too. And that has worked out well for yep. us. Yep. Uh, what is it? Don't let your mortgage payment be more than 25% of your take home pay. Yeah. Your take home pay. Yeah. And my, my second one is <laughs> by the time you turn 50, that mortgage needs to be gone. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, for real. You know, that and, uh, uh, don't stop dating your wife. You've always said that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's yeah. your keep, that's keep your it going. Big, yep, that's your big ones. So, <laughs> but anyways, thanks for uh, thanks for hey. coming on hitters only. It's been fun. It's a pleasure. Yeah, well, uh, you get, you're always welcome back on. And if you got any, uh, if you ever think of anybody that's uh, you know that has an interesting story or uh, anything, I I even thought about uh, it may be interesting talking to Bobby about his career with the. Uh, Tennessean, yeah. Tennessean. Oh, gosh, yeah. He spent 45 years there and has lots of stories. Yeah. yeah. I thought that might be interesting to talk to him about for a little bit, maybe one night or something. But uh, So if you ever have anybody, just let me know. I'll send them your way. Yeah. But anyways, thanks for coming on. Thank you. All right. All right.